Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this evening. Uh, God, we're mindful of uh, your working in our lives, and we are thankful for the opportunities that we have to gather together and study the Word of God. And so, Lord, uh, send thy Holy Spirit upon us that he may be the teacher and guide through the Scriptures. And, uh, Lord, I would pray that you might uh, just guide our prayer time this evening. We need to sense a move of the Spirit of God on our hearts. We need... Uh, to uh, really acknowledge the needs that are in other people's lives. And, uh, Lord, we want and desire to intercede on their behalf. And so, Lord, uh, please bless the study of the word and the praying tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, we're going to look in uh, Micah. We're doing a study in the book of Micah. And we're in chapter 3. In uh, short chapters, only 12 verses, and uh, we'll take a look at that and see what it is the Lord has for us uh, this evening as we study uh, the book of Micah, uh, Micah chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, And I said, Hear, I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? And so this is uh, really the second message that Micah is going to give. And remember, it's in our introductory chapter, uh, introductory uh, lesson as we studied. Uh, we said there's three main messages that Micah gives. Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, the messages were directed to all the people. And now in chapter 3, we see very clearly that his message that he has in chapter 3 is to the leaders of Israel, because you can see the, who he's addressing in verse 1. He says, And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, ye princes of the house of Israel. And so it's very clear, chapter 3 of Micah is dealing with uh, uh, the rebuke, uh, the admonishment of the word of God, uh, the prophet of God, to those that are in a position of leadership over the people of God. It is impossible for any organization or nation or congregation to be right uh, if the leadership is corrupt. And, uh, and it is so important for us to understand that. And the Lamentations, you can see in your notes there, we gave you some cross-references. There's quite a few. We'll be looking some of these up tonight. But in Lamentations chapter 2, in verse 14 says, The prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquity to, to turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. And then in chapter 4 of Lamentations, Jeremiah continues to express his concern and his a burden that he has for the people of Israel. Chapter 4 and verse 11 says, And the Lord hath accomplished his fury. He hath poured out his fierce anger and hath kindled a fire in Zion, and it hath devoured the foundations thereof. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. For the sins of 
of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests that have shed the blood of the just in the midst of her. They have wandered as blind men in the streets. They have polluted themselves with the blood so that men could not touch their garments. And so the problems of God's wrath and God's judgment coming on Israel, uh, Micah, as Jeremiah did in Lamentations, is acknowledging the fact that the judgment of God was coming on them because of the corruption of the leaders in Israel. How important it is for uh, those of, that are in positions of leadership within your home, within your church, within your communities, need to be honest, trustworthy, godly people walking with the Lord. Otherwise, God's judgment and God's wrath can fall uh, upon us, even though you might be trying to do what's right. Uh, you can try to live what, do what's right. We can, as a church, as a believers in Christ, try live good, clean, holy lives. But if you have corrupt leaders, then as a nation, you become corrupt people. And as God chastises the nation, then uh, we also have to go through that time of chastening. And so uh, Micah is really rebuking the leaders uh, over the children of Israel in this chapter. Notice in verses 1 through 4 in your notes, I just identified it as satisfaction versus justification. And uh, someone can be satisfied with themselves, but they may not be justified in the eyes of God. And uh, men take pleasure in themselves, in their accomplishments, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're just and right with God. And so satisfaction versus justification. In verse 1, uh, this uh, satisfaction versus justification, it is not out of ignorance. So here is Micah literally addressing the leaders. Here I pray you. He's wanting them to listen to what he has to say. He's wanting them to be aware of the fact that God is watching from heaven and God knows what is going on. And so what they were doing in their life was not uh, out of ignorance. Uh, Romans chapter eight and I'm sorry, Romans chapter twelve and verse one says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren." by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And so uh, when we live our life in rebellion to the Lord, uh, th listen, we can't excuse ourselves by saying, well, I didn't know. And uh, certainly God has given us his word. God has commanded us in how to live and how we're to lead. And uh, so uh, you cannot be satisfied uh, when you're not justified in the eyes of God. And so this lack of uh, satisfaction that they were experiencing was not out of ignorance because they already knew, number one there, they understood the moral traits required by God's law. And uh, so uh, they, what they were doing was deliberately leading the people of God in a way away from God because of the fact they were completely deliberately disobeying the moral laws of God. And so you can't say it's out of ignorance because you know what God has said. And not only that, but they passed judgment on others that committed the same acts as them. It says, uh, I said, here I pray you, those heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, 
Is it not for you to know judgment? And so they were passing judgment on others who were doing what they were doing, uh, but they weren't correcting themselves. They weren't passing judgment on themselves. And so this matter of satisfaction versus justification is not out of just plain ignorance. It's out of a deliberate decision to disobey the law, the moral law of God, and in the process condemn others. And uh, it's just interesting how many people in, in, in leadership, politically, whatever it may be, uh, live their lives against the moral code of God. They make decisions uh, in reference to life and death decisions against the moral code of God, but yet they'll turn around and condemn you for trying to live according to the moral code of God. And uh, so uh, well, Mike is confronting them about their uh, uh, lack of ignorance and their unjustification for bringing judgment on those that they were condemning. Then in verse 2, notice it was out of intolerance. Uh, this oppression, this judgment that they were placing on others was out of intolerance. In verse 2 says, who hate the good and love the evil. You know, Isaiah had prophesied that in the end days that uh, they will call good evil and evil good. And uh, here in the life of Israel, they're living this intolerant spirit and attitude out because they hate the good and they love that which is evil. Why is that? Number one there in your notes is just because there's a refusal to obey God's word. The only way that you can embrace and hold on to things that are evil and wicked and despise the things that are as good is by literally refusing to obey God's word. You know, God has is, is still said that we're supposed to be holy. That's why I wanted to sing that song tonight, Take Time to Be Holy. Uh, we are supposed to be holy agents of God. Uh, God is the author of life. Man doesn't have the right to take the life of someone else. Uh, man doesn't have right to uh, abort babies out of the womb of a mother. Uh, we don't have the right to defile ourselves in fornication and immorality. We don't have the right to do all these things. And you say, well, wait a minute, that's a good thing for people to do. I, as a leader, that's what I want to go ahead and endorse. No, you're refusing though, to obey the word of God. And now that refusal to obey the word of God, you're intolerant of those that are doing what's good because you hate that which is good. And you hold to and you love that which is evil. And so the refusal to obey God's word, number two there, always ends up with a reversal of established morals. In other words, things years ago that used to be subculture in America now are main culture in America. Uh, things that even unsaved uh, people would not even consider talking about or being a part of years ago, now Christians are doing it. And it's because of the fact that uh, well, you, you take and you look at people who are trying to live for God and walk with God, and in your role of leadership, you hate that which is good and you love that which is evil, and so you're intolerant of those that are not in agreement with you. 
And when you're, not, when you're intolerant of those that are not in agreement with you because you don't think the good should be recognized as good, it is evidence of the fact that you have refused to obey God's word, and so now you've reversed everything around. Sometimes I look at the world and say, man, everything just seems to be upside down. And it's because of the fact we're falling into this, the very trap that Micah is warning Israel their leaders have led them into this position because of a reversal of the established moral code of God. Then in verse 2 and verse 3 there, you can see letter C in your notes, uh, it is out of indifference. Notice in verse 2 it says, starts out, when who hate good and love the evil, says, and here it is, who pluck off the skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron. What is he saying? There's just a complete spirit of indifference of the effects of the decisions that they're making. They just really don't care about the effects on the people. And uh, you, you see what's going on in the day in which we live, and it's like the decisions that are being made, it's like, don't you care about how this is affecting the people? Uh, you know, close down businesses and all this, that, and you know, don't you care that people cannot work? Uh, they can't provide for their families? I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous what is taking place in the world that we live, and it's a complete spirit of indifference because it's completely consumed with what my political goals are. And I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican. It's on the same side, on both sides, I'm sorry. A spirit of indifference. What does that spirit of indifference do? It, uh, the indifference comes about due to a focus on themselves. Back in Ezekiel, and you can turn back there if you like. I'll just read it for you. Ezekiel chapter 34 and uh, verse 2 says this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Shall not the shepherds feed the flocks? And uh, he's dealing with the leadership in Israel. Their focus had become themselves rather than what their role was, was to be focused on other people. And so that's actually number two there. Their indifference is not only developed out of a focus on self, but due to a failure to be concerned for others. In Ezekiel chapter 32, uh, chapter 34, if you continue reading in verse 3, it says, And ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool, ye eat them that are fed, both ye feed not the flock, the diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. And so their indifference to the problems of the people, the indifference to the suffering of the people came about because of the fact they were focused on themselves 
and they had a failure, a failure to be concerned for others. And so they, they have to make sure that they take care of themselves before they actually will do anything for someone else. And as a result of it, Mike is warning, God's judgment is coming. God's wrath is coming because of the leaders of Israel. Uh, number three there, we see, according to Jeremiah 10.25, their indifference was due to fulfillment of spiritual cannibalism. And Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 25 says, Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob, and devoured him, and consumed him, and have made his habitation desolate. And so they chew one another up, and uh, no concern for others, uh, no uh, ability to look towards the needs of others, but rather whatever I can do, whoever I can destroy, whatever I can put in motion to be able to get what I want, then I'll do it, and I don't care who gets hurt in the process. And uh, God sees that, and God is aware of that, and Micah is warning Israel, you better get right with God because he is coming against you uh, because of your leadership role. In verse 4 of Micah, going back to Micah chapter 3, notice it's out of arrogance. In verse 4 it says, uh, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. And so now here they are. They think they can go ahead and get their satisfaction from God. And, and they're not justified in the eyes of God. And in their arrogance, they, in verse 4, uh, they thought that God would listen to them because of the fact that they were Israel. And uh, Micah is revealing to them, listen, God's not paying attention to you at all. He has hidden his face against you uh, because what you have done. And I'm afraid we have uh, fallen asleep, uh, spiritually speaking, in America that we think God will bless us. And we think we'll always be a blessed and a prosperous nation because we are America. Uh, let me tell you, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And the farther America gets away from God, the farther the church gets away from God, the farther the believer in Christ gets away from God, the less God is listening to us. You cannot assume that God's just going to automatically listen to you. Not only they thought that God would listen to them because they were Israel, but in their arrogance, they thought that God would appear to them regardless of their condition. It says, for, uh, from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. They thought, well, I can just go ahead and live my life as I please. I can all go ahead and conduct business as I've always conducted business. I can be just as arrogant and gross in all that I want, and, but God, God will appear to me. God said, no, I won't. It's an interesting thing. Once you get done the book of Malachi for 400 years, 400-some years, God never spoke to Israel again. 
And so Micah is laying the groundwork here, if you will, to warn the leaders in Israel much of the judgment and the wrath of God that was coming on Israel is not just to the people, because he's already identified, he had a message to all people. But he's saying now specifically, you in that position of leadership, you have an obligation and responsibility. You know, what was it back in, uh, I think it's Ezekiel? I think that's the book. I can't remember the verse now. But it says in reference to uh, the problems and the judgment of God on Israel because the priests have polluted themselves. And Micah is following that same line of warning. The leaders have polluted themselves. And as a result of it, God's judgment is going to fall. So we see satisfaction versus justification. It's not about you just being satisfied in life. You need to be justified before God. Then in verse 5 through 8, we see divination versus revelation. And uh, notice in verse 5, he says, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he that putteth not into it their mouths, they even prepare war against him. And so divination versus revelation. In other words, are we trying to work up a spell through divination to try to get God to move? Or is God actually responding by revealing himself to us? What, you know, you got to compare the two. And here he says, first of all, Peace, number letter A there, peace does not come without God. He says, the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite their teeth and cry, peace. They're wanting peace. They're desiring peace. And he putteth not into their mouths. They even prepare war against them. The problem was this. You cannot find peace through strife and uh, contention. And uh, that, I, I see that just constantly uh, in, in these days that we're living in, that people think they can just be argumentative, they can be combative, uh, they can be aggressive, uh, that that's going to force someone to be at peace. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And uh, we have to be careful that we're just not uh, trying to force an issue of peace when God needs to be present to bring us to peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That You can't force the issue of peace between men who are depraved without God present. God has to be present because he's the one who brings peace. So you cannot find peace through strife and contention. You cannot find peace through treachery. And if you go back, and you, I'm not going to look up, it's a long passage, 2 Kings chapter 9, and verse 14 and 24, through 24, deals with this whole concept of the treachery that was going on in Israel. And as a result of it, there were many people that were uh, executed and died because of treachery. You, you can't mock God. You can't manipulate people. You cannot be 
going behind the scenes and doing things in a treacherous way and think that you're going to be able to get God to bless. There is no peace in that type of environment. And so peace does not come without God being present. Notice in verse 6, let her be there. Revelation does not come without God. In verse 6, he says, Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine, and the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. So no revelation. Proverbs 29 and 18 tells us that where there's no vision, the people perish. And uh, we have lost hope because we have lost a vision from God. We have lost the leading of God in our life. And we are not going to have peace and we're not going to have clear direction until we once again get a vision from God. Right now we're groping in the darkness. Lamentations chapter 2 in uh, verse 9 says, Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. When I read that verse, I was like, boy, if that's not a description of the day in which we live in it, or we're living in. It will get darker. There'll be less of a revelation of God. The father that leaders in our churches, in our homes, in our communities, in our government gets farther and farther away from God. The revelation of God gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. I see in verse 7 of her chapter, respect does not come without God. Notice in all these statements, it's dealing with these things do not come if you don't have God present. In verse 7 it says, Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. That's why I called this section here divination versus revelation. We're not talking about a hocus-pocus spiritual thing trying to work up something. It says, Then shall the seers be ashamed and the diviners confounded. Yea, and they shall all cover their lips. There is no answer of God. So respect does not come without the presence of God. Uh, you can't divine it up. Uh, you can't conjure it up. Uh, you can't make it up. Uh, the only way that we're going to be able to receive respect one of another is to respond to one another according to the presence of Christ in our life. So respect does not come without God. Verse 8, notice boldness comes with the presence of God. In verse 8 he says, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So the boldness that Micah has to come before the children of Israel, come before these leaders in Israel, to warn them of God's chastisement. So he tells them here that he is of, uh, has this power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment. So number one is their soundness of proclamation. 
In other words, he was sound, he was valid in what he's proclaiming to Israel. Because what he's presenting to them is not uh, his choosing of his own words, but rather revealing the judgment of God on them. So soundness of proclamation. And then I see in that verse, sureness of power. He says that he is uh, full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment. And he says, and of might. Uh, the, the, Jesus said, all power is given, given unto me. The word is dudamos. It means dynamite. It means explosion. And uh, Micah is saying this, as I'm coming to you, I have the boldness to present what God is saying to your leaders because it's based on the judgment of God and on the power of God that's released through me. And then we see in that verse, the sinful, uh, sinfulness brought prostration prostrate. Uh, in other words, they fell on their face before God and said to declare unto Jacob, what was he declaring? His transgression and to Israel his sin. And so the declaration of God revealing the transgressions and their sins will cause them to be humbled before the Lord. And uh, listen, if it was sinful years ago, it is sinful today. Now, God is the Lord. He does not change. And what he proclaims that we are to be in his presence, whether it's in uh, 1900 or whether it's in 2020, is exactly the same. And people say, well, you don't understand. Times have changed. Well, I do understand that. Times have changed. But I also understand that God has not. And what he requires of us is still the same. And people in leadership, I look more on the people in leadership need to be holy and righteous and be bold to proclaim what God has said and stop trying to tickle people's ears. So there's divination versus revelation. I don't need any divine divination, sorcery type of workings. I just need the revelation of God. Then in verse 19 through 12, we see destruction versus edification. Uh, either you're building something up or you're tearing something down. Destruction versus edification. Uh, in verse, eight, uh, verse uh, um, 9, notice in verse 9, Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob. Now that's the second time he has used that phrase. He's being very clear and very direct and very specific who he's talking to. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and the princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. And so destruction versus edification is a warning against their perversion. He says, you abhor judgment and you pervert all equity. In other words, you're not making things fair. You're not dealing with things on equal ground. And uh, so there is a warning against their perversion. And uh, then in verse 10, there's a warning against their plan. It says they build up Zion with blood. In other words, in order to have uh, uh, leadership, have power, have possession. You're not worried about spilling the blood of mankind. 
He says, they built up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. So their plan is to build what they want to build, and it doesn't matter what blood it costs to shed as long as I'm living the way I want, I'm consumed with iniquity, I'm not worried about being holy, I'm not worried about being righteous, all I'm worried about is building what I want to build. There's a warning against their plan. And then, verse 11, there's a warning against their hireling. It says, the heads thereof judge for reward. In other words, the decisions they make, they want to get paid for it. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. And so they're warning against their hireling. If you want to pee there, it's pensionary. I was going to put that on there, but I figured my wife would yell at me later. <laughs> She's like, why are you putting that down? And nobody knows what that means. It's a hireling, amen? So just look at this, verse 11. Let's break it down a little bit and see what he's saying. First of all, there's no justice when the judge can be bought. So the heads thereof, judge for reward. You cannot get justice when somebody can get paid off. You can look up these cross-references. We don't have time to look them all up. Proverbs 18.5 helps us to understand that. Secondly, you see there's no intercession when the priest can be bought. That's why it says in verse 11, it says, And the priest thereof teach for hire. Uh, it, it's amazing to me how many times in my lifetime as a pastor uh, people have tried to persuade me to teach on something or change my position on something or take a position on something in reference to money. I just, my answer to them is let your money perish with you. The priest cannot intercede if he can be bought off. The judge cannot judge righteously if he can be bought off. Notice in the verse 11 also in the middle. And the prophets thereof divine for money. So no revelation when the prophet can be bought off. If the prophet can be told, this is what I want you to tell forth, and I'll give you so much money to tell that forth, then he's not getting a revelation from God. There is no protection, protection when you think the Lord can be bought. In verse 11 it says, Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. He's talking about <clears throat> every aspect of their life that they've been buying off the judge, buying off the priest, buying off the prophet. <coughs> they think they can buy off God. You think you can wheel and deal with God. But the reality is, he's the Lord that is the righteous judge, and shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Amen. So he gives a warning uh, to them in reference to uh, their um, unwillingness to edify, but rather to destroy. 
Then in verse 12, he gives a warning against their punishment in verse 12. He says, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as high as the places of the forest. So he warns them. Uh, this is what's going to be the outcome of Israel, uh, what's going to be the outcome of Jerusalem uh, because of the corruption and the pollution of your leaders. And he says that Zion will be plowed as a field and Jerusalem will come at, become as heaps and the mountain of the house of the high places of the forest. So first of all, and there's the destruction of the first temple. We know Solomon built the temple for the Lord. David was refused by God to be able to build the te uh, temple, but his son would build the temple. And as he builds the temple, uh, what a magnificent temple it was, and the people of Israel enjoyed the Shekinah glory of God that filled the temple. But the destruction of the first temple was by King Nebuchadnezzar, of Babylon in 598 B.C. That destruction was viewed by Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, just read you a couple verses. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, the gates thereof and are burned with fire. In chapter 2 and verse 17 of Nehemiah, I'll get over there, I'll be able to read it for you. It says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, and we be no more a reproach. And so Nehemiah, I should have put Ezra in there. Nehemiah oversaw the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. It was Ezra who re oversaw the rebuilding of the temple that was destroyed, the temple that Solomon had uh, built. And when the temple was gone, done, it says in Ezra uh, that the young people, young men of Israel, sang praises and rejoiced while the old men wept because they saw the glory of the first temple and the second temple didn't match it. But yet Israel thought they had a great feat that took place. But the old men who saw what God had done in the beginning were weeping. And so the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem is prophesied by Micah and it is witnessed by Nehemiah and also Ezra. Well, then there's the destruction of the second temple that was by a Roman officer, Titus Flavius Rufus, in 70 AD. Boy, that's a mouthful to say that. Uh, uh, the Jewish Talmud records that Rufus actually plowed up the foundations of the temple with a plowshare. And that's exactly what Micah had prophesied was going to take place. And so here it is back in 598 B.C. The first temple is destroyed and then the temple is rebuilt. And then in 70 A.D. the temple is destroyed. 
And I believe it's all in reference to the prophecy that Micah gave forth of what were the consequences of the sins of the leaders of Israel. And of course, the destruction of the second temple was prophesied by Jesus Christ. Let me read you Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41 says... And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. It's always interesting to see when Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, how he weeps over Jerusalem and over his people. Verse 42, saying, If thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day. I like how he says that. It's, it's, it's really a mind-catching, heart-gripping. Is that thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day. He's saying at least you can comprehend what is going on this day. The things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee encompass thee around and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Then in chapter 21 of Luke in verse 5 and 6, Says, and as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Why would he make that statement? Because Micah chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, folks, there's a great lesson that we can learn from the book of Micah is that when God says repent and live a moral, just, and right life, that's exactly what he means. And Micah warned the people. He warned every person. He warns us as we read it. It's a warning to us. But beyond that, he warns the leaders. You go over and in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you go into Titus chapter 2, and you see the qualifications for leadership in the church. Uh, I, there must be holiness and righteousness. There must be a, 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 a spirit of unselfishness. There must be a laying down of our life that recognizes the fact that if God doesn't bless, we're not going to make it. And there's got to be a desire to speak boldly to proclaim the truths that are in the word of God, to warn of the wrath and the judgment to come. And I believe that God is crying out to us tonight uh, that he wants us to repent. He wants us to be just. Uh, he wants us to lead in the light of his character and his being. And so may that be our desire. Well, as we get ready to pray tonight, we need to pray for our country. Tonight is our Today was actually our beginning of a 40 days of prayer.